my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Our big questions for the week, our theme this week, the passing of death. Is there life post-death? Today we're looking, can a soul die? Tomorrow, how did Christ relate to death? And then on Friday, how do I prepare for death? Our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. David, welcome aboard. G'day, Gary. Great to be here. It is wonderful to have you uh, have you back again. How has your week been? Yeah, look, it's been pretty good. Uh, lots of meetings, but uh, I really enjoy coming on to this radio program. You're a person who enjoys meetings, aren't you? Uh Sometimes. 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 It depends who's there, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Tell me something. A long weekend is coming up. Are you going to get a break this long weekend? Yeah, look, uh, the last couple of long weekends I've worked, this one is a special one. My wife, Megan, turns 50 this coming uh, Friday. That's not a secret, I hope. Well, she's been telling everyone for a year, and particularly me. So, no, it'll (laughs) be a special weekend. Uh, Well, we want to say a really big welcome to uh, uh, Megan. I hope you're uh, listening today, uh, Megan, and uh, congratulations on your birthday. Thank you. Before we move um, uh, to our question for the week, I want to share with you uh, one of our world uh, religious trends. You know, huge changes are occurring. These are trends, I believe, that it can't be ignored. Our news up to date concerns the euthanasia debate that's bubbling along in most Australian states. And on this issue... It's wonderful, once again, to welcome into the studio David DeLima. David's the South Australian State Director of Family Voice Australia. Welcome to you, David. Well, it's great to be broadcasting with you once again, Gary. It, it is really good to have you in the uh, in the studio and, uh, and just to be able to chat on some of these really significant issues mm. that are occurring. Tell us, David, how's your week been? Oh, well, always busy. I've been making some YouTube clips in the lockdown context, so I'm learning to do things I've never done before. It's amazing how many people are making YouTube clips or going on Zoom. I believe you were hosting a Zoom meeting last last night. Yes, we've had a Zoom meeting with a couple of senators and a couple of pastors thrown in for good measure. I did actually register to join that particular meeting, but then I got away from here late and uh, and missed it. Um, so my apologies on that one, David. Isn't it wonderful to be living, though, in such a blessed country at yes, the present time? It is, and we thank God for technology. Technology mm. and the Zoom seminar or webinar that you mentioned was in relation to giving thanks because we've just had the National Day of Thanksgiving. It's the last Saturday in May mm-hmm. and it was a great joy to round up people across the nation so we could give thanks in prayer to God for all his good things to Australia. Not many people actually get to give, get together to simply give thanks, do they? That's right. Yeah, we're too busy complaining or grizzling, but there's so much we should be thanking God for and also thanking those who are helping to make the nation a great place. David, would you like to lead us in prayer just to mm. just to say thank you to our God for all that he has done Indeed. for this nation? Indeed. 
Lord God Almighty, we give thanks that you are the Lord of nations and that you were at work back in uh, the beginning of creation, that you placed the indigenous people here to do your work. You brought the gospel of Jesus here and we give thanks for the peaceful way in which our nation has come into being. Though there were difficulties and we repent of those, we're sorry for those, but Lord, we give thanks that your gospel message has come here and we do pray that uh, everyone in Australia will take seriously the claims of Christ to receive him as Saviour and Lord for personal salvation and for all the blessings that the Lordship of Christ brings to nations. And we also pray that Australia will become a nation that will bless other nations, enrich other countries. So help us to get our house in order, we pray, that others will give thanks as a result of our ministry to each other here in this country and overseas. In Jesus' name we pray. David, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your praying for our nation because I'm conscious of how much our nation does actually need our prayers as as Christians. Some challenges, however, that I would really like us just to come and to pick up on and just to, to chat to you about because I'm aware that you're in touch with some of the changes that are happening our country that as as Christian people in our environment we need to be aware of in the area of of public policy and government legislation in a, currently I'm noticing that in numerous states we're getting the euthanasia debate it, it seems to keep popping up almost with monotonous regularity this is true yes uh, euthanasia has been legal uh, in two jurisdictions now firstly in the northern territory very briefly mm-hmm. back in 1996 but then that was dealt with by the federal parliament. So uh, about seven people uh, took took the opportunity there to end their lives legally. But in Victoria, as of this year, euthanasia has been allowed. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens there. It's looking like it's coming through in Western Australia and probably coming through into Queensland. And in South Australia, the uh, a couple of years ago, the proposed legislation was defeated by one vote. So clearly... Uh, that's going to come up again sooner or later. So this is an issue that I'm a person, as a, as a minister of religion, I, I've got a lot to do with, I suppose, death and dying. I'm conscious that over the years I've probably been involved in probably 250 funerals. I've been a minister for 35 years now. And uh, I'm just so conscious of the challenges people go through. I've sat with many people. They have died. I've had to talk to families as they've dealing with the issue of, uh, of death and a loved one passing. Now, uh, David, let's define, if we can firstly, what is euthanasia? Yes, euthanasia is the active taking of someone's life or the assistance of them doing that to themselves. So that will usually mean an injection. Uh, it doesn't involve the refusal of treatment or even the refusal of hydration and nutrition because we have autonomy as individuals and if I don't want an operation or if I don't want an intervention, I should be free to decline that mm-hmm. even if I do not wish uh, hydration or nutrition. That's my choice. But uh, for me then to request that you as my doctor would inject me or help me to inject myself with a lethal substance, that is euthanasia. If I, uh, for example, encourage somebody to sign an end-of-life directive because I'm conscious that people have to make these decisions today about how do they want to be cared for at the end of their life, that is not classified as euthanasia. No, not at all. Uh, The end-of-life directive 
objective would be that you want something to happen or you don't want something to happen. It's as simple mm. as that. But it would not involve the deliberate taking of life. Okay. So that's, okay. that's illegal in every jurisdiction uh-huh. in Australia except for Victoria. Well, within Victoria, there, it goes a, a lot further than just the end of life, a type, type directed. I, I, okay. David, tell us. The problems. Just share with us some of the problems with the euthanasia legislation. Yes. Uh, as I say, there's a, a change in the relationship between patient and doctor, but there's also a change in social thinking. So the, there are examples of people who have broken the law in jurisdictions where euthanasia is legal. Action has been taken against them, but they've been acquitted. A classic example of that is uh, a person in uh, Holland who uh, the doctor there was charged with illegally assisting the suicide of a patient who wasn't terminally ill. In fact, they weren't ill at all. Mm -hmm. They were just tired of living. Mm -hmm. So they went to their doctor and they said, I'm tired of living. Can you help me to end my life? And he agreed to do that. Now, that was illegal under their legislation, but uh, he was prosecuted but acquitted. You see, our judges, our juries, our social thinking changes once the law changes Mm -hmm. because, uh, as I think I said in our last interview, the law is a teacher. It has an educative function. So you change the law, change people's thinking. And that means that the the protections, so-called protections, with regard to euthanasia become meaningless mm-hmm. as they have been with regard to abortion because our thinking changes. Exactly, exactly. And that, of course, leads us to the next issue, the possible abuse or misuse of this legislation? Is there any possibility that such legislation could be abused? Absolutely. That's been the case in the jurisdictions that have legalised euthanasia. We find people's lives being ended against their wish or without their consent. Because if medical people under pressure say, look, this dear old lady or this dear old man, I don't know why they haven't requested it by now, but it's their time's up, they've reached their use by day so we'll just take the decision ourselves. So we're empowering the medical profession in this way through a change in social thinking because of a change of law. So it's really a very, very dangerous Mm. uh, move which has huge consequences for the vulnerable, whether they be uh, newborn, handicapped, or whether they be old and uh, suffering from mental or physical ailments. Uh, Those vulnerable people, uh, unfortunately, are experiencing death against their their will Uh, how how could a a newborn baby give consent anyway Mm. so we've got a real problem happening in those jurisdictions overseas which have legalized euthanasia and we'll just have to wait and see as time unfolds Mm. the situation in victoria yeah I, i i'm interested that you do actually make that comment actually there david because i know that myself even as a as a pastor who's worked with end of life issues a great deal i'm conscious of the i suppose i would call it the impact that family can even have mm. on one who is sick yep. or incapacitated. It's sort of, it's not a uh, pushing a person in a direction, mm. but there is a subtle encouragement.
encouragement mm. to take a particular decision. Now, certainly in the uh, cases that I'm I'm thinking of, uh, these are not obviously uh, to end your life because currently that is actually illegal mm. here in here in this state. Uh, but I am conscious that uh, there are uh, decisions which family are subtly able to bring on a person who is facing end of life. Correct. And to me, uh, this this area of euthanasia is actually an area that is very dangerous. Mm. Any other illustrations there? Yes, well, a GP here in Adelaide told me recently that as she was helping an elderly patient being checked into um, a palliative care facility, the question was asked of her by the family, now, do you offer euthanasia here? Just an appalling question. David... Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate the feedback that you've had on that particular subject. I think it's a, a really important, it's a growing issue, it's a developing story, one that I think is going to have to be uh, debated in many states in Australia. And I think as Christians, we certainly need to be aware of some of the issues that are actually behind that particular issue. David, thank you so much. May the Lord richly bless your ministry. Thank you, Gary. That was really good to have David DeLima uh, here uh, with us in the studio. But let's come to another David. That's uh, David Butcher. This uh, multiplication of Davids makes things very confusing for uh, for everyone. Uh, tell us, David, uh, this issue of euthanasia, is that an issue that you think we as Christians should be aware of at all? Yeah, definitely. I think that the basic principle of Christianity is God came to give life. Jesus mm. comes to give life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to ex- value life to its extreme. Now, in saying that, I think, as, as David said in the interview, um, some individuals make these choices to not be resuscitated. My father was one of them. Yeah, um, yeah, he didn't yeah. want breathing tubes. He didn't want to be put on life yeah. support. And he did that in a cognizant way, and I was there when he did it. And uh, that's different than someone trying to actively... And I think that that definition is actually so important that we realise that um, making that decision uh, to say I'm not going to further my life by unnatural means is totally different to the uh, euthanasia type uh, type issue. Now, tell us, David, do you think there are any dangers with this whole euthanasia uh, discussion? Are, are there any dangers with euthanasia itself? Look, I think I think there is, and I think David just. Describe that, you know, a, a family checking someone into an aged care facility and asking the question, do they have people that can assist with euthanasia? Mm. Um, it, it can be abused, and he's highlighted that that has happened in some other jurisdictions where the law has been in place for a while. So I guess who can protect the right of someone that may be incapable of um, defending themselves. Yeah. Who yeah. is the advocate? And uh, and that is, in fact, the real challenge with this particular question because what we actually have here, uh, the, um, the, the, it's so easy to actually have law abused uh, even by family with the best of intentions. You know, I suppose myself, I'm conscious of one or two cases where property issues have started to weigh on decision-making of family and their actions towards mum and dad at the end of life. And that's very gets very complicated and, and obviously there's um, real issues there in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
David, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate David Dilemma being able to uh, to be with us today. Let's come to some music. This is uh, Gavin Chatelier as Water to the Thirsty.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. Our uh, David is the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Um, our theme for this week, the passing of death. And today we're asking, what is the mysterious soul that is spoken of? And can a soul die? David, it's a really big question. What is this mysterious thing called the the soul? You hear the word bandied around a fair bit, but it's really an old English term that which really fallen out of favour today in a big way. So help us out. What, what, what is all of this? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Look, this is uh, can be a, a topic that causes uh, a lot of emotional response. It's also something that is uh, confused. Uh, when we look at um, uh, Christianity today. And uh, I guess, Gary, before we try and define what a soul is, uh, I think we really need to look at the whole question of immortality. Mm. Um, so, so I just want to touch base on that. The word immortal means not subject to death. And by correlation, we would say that mortal means that someone is subject to death. Now, it's very interesting that um, I guess within Christianity, um, there is a large uh, percentage of Christians believe that when someone dies, they have this soul or this spirit which separates from the body and goes to paradise, goes to heaven, and it is immortal. It is not subject to death. Not all of them go up, though. Well, that's interesting because I don't know how many funerals you've been. I've never been to one funeral where they say uh, John has uh, gone down. Actually, can I just uh, just fill you in on one uh, a story that I had? Just I'm sorry to break okay, in on you here, David, but um, it was very early in in my ministry. I actually uh, was uh, was doing a, a funeral, and the family sat down with me, and they said this to me. They said, "Now listen, this guy has been a rotter." His entire life. And we know where he's going. And he's not going up. He's going down. Now, you make sure you put him in the right spot, because if you say that he's going up, we're going to stand up and call you a liar. So you make sure you put him in the right spot. But that, David, is the only funeral that I'm ever aware of where that did actually take yeah, place. Yeah, I guess if you said he's gone up and the, the audience there knows full well what he was like, they might think you're talking at a different funeral. But, but yeah, most people think when you die, you go straight to paradise or heaven. A- and they believe that is because the soul is indis- uh, can't be extinguished, that it's immortal. But the Bible is really clear. And remember that immortal means not subject to death. Uh, Paul, the great New Testament theologian in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. So this is the only time in the Bible where the adjective, the word immortal, is used and is used exclusively for God. So God is the one who is actually immortal. Absolutely. And then further on in that book to Timothy, that letter to Timothy that Paul wrote, Paul says this 
he says, um, uh, God will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So the Bible never anywhere ascribes immortality to, to human beings. Indeed, it's exactly the opposite, isn't it? Because what is ascribed to human beings is, in fact, this thing called mortality. And, of course, mortality, by definition, means that a person is actually subject to death. Yes, absolutely. And, and and that's because of this whole sin issue, this sin problem. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 to 54, this whole chapter that deals with the resurrection, and he says this, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So Paul is saying that when Jesus returns at the second coming, uh, those who have fallen asleep who have died, and you'll talk more about that later in the week, uh, he is saying we won't all be dead. Uh, we won't all die. Uh, and he says, um, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And listen to this. He says, and this mortal, that's you and I, that's human beings, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So humanity, the Bible says, uh, those who choose to follow Jesus, and choose to be in a relationship with him do not receive immortality until Jesus returns. Okay, so that's actually really key because when Jesus uh, returns, you also get this thing called the resurrection, which of course hasn't taken place yet, but it's at that point that according to Paul, immortality is actually bestowed on those who are resurrected. Absolutely. So what the Bible actually teaches when we go back to the very beginning of Scripture is this concept of conditional immortality. Mm. In other words, our um, uh, immortality means not subject to death. Conditional immortality means we can possess that, or Adam and Eve possess that, as long as they remained in a relationship with God. Mm. In other words, their immortality was tied to them choosing to remain in a love relationship with God. If they chose to break that relationship and go their own way, then they lost that connection because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God is a life giver. When we break that, we immediately um, uh, are subject to death. Mm. And and Gary, just to touch base on that further, it's, it's very interesting that um, in Genesis chapter um 2 verses 8 and 9 it says this the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden and there he put the man who he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right there in the midst of this, this perfect world, uh, in the middle of this garden, God places two trees. He places the tree of life. And I want to suggest mm. to you that was a real tree. Mm. But that tree of life was an indication for 
our first parents, for Adam and Eve, to show whether they wanted to be faithful to God and remain in relationship with him. As they did, they could eat from that tree. But there was a second tree that we've just read about there, and that was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. Now, this was their out. Mm. This was God. Um, you've created all these wonderful things, but I want to do my own thing. This was their out. And Genesis 2.17, God said to them, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now, it's very interesting. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they ate that fruit, they chose to break their connection with God, their relationship and it was so powerful that God had to, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, God in verses 22 to 24, he has to put um, an angel at the, the, the gate of the Garden of Eden to stop Adam and Eve accessing the garden because in the garden they could have accessed, and it says this, the tree of life. In other words, what God has actually done is given Adam and Eve this wonderful gift of freedom of choice. You know, to me, the beautiful thing in the Garden of Eden, there is so much that God gives. Adam and Eve had everything. They owned the entire world. They're given rest. They're given relationship mm. and they're given freedom. And to me, as I look at what you're actually saying here, God with those particular trees is giving an Adam and Eve this beautiful gift of freedom to choose, but they chose against God. So he's really saying, I'm giving you the choice to choose to be in relationship with me mm. or to not be in relationship mm. with me. While you're in relationship with me, you eat from the tree of life. You have conditional immortality. The minute you choose to not be in relationship with me, to go your own way, to cut yourself off from the giver of life and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Mm. And so human beings do not receive immortality until the second coming, and that is a gift to those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And are resurrected at that time because that's the uh, that's the teaching of certainly John. You can find it with Paul and continually in the New Testament. This is something that is, is repetitious. This is the focus of the New Testament once the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus has taken place. It's the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. So I guess as a background to this question of yours, what is a soul? Um, the background is that within human beings, we do not have any uh, force or spirit or soul or, or energy that goes on and lives forever. Mm -hmm. We're subject to death and we go back to the ground. In fact, Genesis 3.19, um, God says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. And to dust you will return. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the minute we break that relationship with God, we are no longer in conditional immortality. We are subject to death. We are subject to death. And, of course, death by scriptural definition is actually a cessation of life. And I think it was said Monday night, it's the reversal of the creation of life. That's it. That's it. Until Jesus comes again. And, of course, at that time you get a, a remarkable change actually taking place. But tell us what this soul is. Okay, yeah, thank you. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. 
And Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this. It's talking about the creation of humanity. And, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, it's interesting. If you go back to the, the Hebrew here, and if you go back to the King James Version, that older translation, it says, And man became a living soul. Now, that's actually very significant, that point, because I think certainly when I originally read this text from the King James Version back 30, 40 years ago, I was reading the King James and it said living soul. The version I read today, the word soul has been changed to living being. And that is is critical because the word soul actually encompasses the whole of the person. We don't have a soul within us. Gary, you are a soul. The soul encompassed in Jewish thought, and, and with this Hebrew word, the soul encompassed the entirety of that person, mm-hmm. their thoughts, their emotions, their appetites, their physicality. You are a soul. So God created man as a living soul. Now, a more accurate way to translate that in our time would be man became a living being. Okay, and you get exactly the same expression being used. For example, when the Titanic went down, um, the newspapers reported that it was lost with 2,000 souls. And even today, if there's a tragedy, we have a certain number of souls that have been lost. And when I was younger, growing up, it was almost done away with back then, the term soul. But, you know, if you saw someone sitting on a park bench or or, or something like that, you'd say, look at that poor old soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, we don't use that terminology anymore. In other words, soul is actually an old English word that's was used back in the time of Shakespearean English that has now been changed to living being, and the two are exactly the same. Absolutely. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the word soul there, uh, the Hebrew word, is also used to refer to animals. Mm. Um, They're living creatures. So... um, if there are people out there that believe that we, as human beings, we have this this spiritual element within us that that is um, that is uh, something that has knowledge and can think and can be rational and worship God, they are wrong. But I think, David, what you read there was actually significant because it's almost mathematical in its form. Man shall become a living soul. It talks about two things coming together. Yes. You get, you get the, um, man, God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his life. I call it the life force. Yes, he exactly. worked a miracle on him in the same way that he works miracles in the, in the New Testament. And man becomes what, the, what, uh, the book of Genesis calls a living soul. So you're right, it's a mathematical equation, and the same equation is true, but in reverse when we die. And as we've said, that's that's in Genesis 3, verse 19. Uh, the body goes back to the ground, back to the dust, and the, the life force that God breathes in, the spirit, if you like, the Hebrew word there is ruach, goes back to God. Mm, mm. In no way is any part of the human being, the word soul, the, the nephesh, the Hebrew word, or the word ruach for breath, uh, no, neither of them means something that is uh, immortal. There's nothing conscious 
That's right. That's actually going back to you've got the power to create life returns to God, but man, according to to what the New Testament is teaching, actually sleeps. That's correct. And and yeah, and ceases to exist until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, until Jesus comes back at the resurrection. Okay, okay. But the soul then, you're saying, can the soul die? Does Scripture tell us anything about the soul being able to, to die or pass away? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, firstly, I think it's Genesis chapter 6 when God says he looks at the earth and he's going to destroy everything there and he sees Noah who is a just man and has, has grace in the eyes of God. Um, God says he's going to destroy everything in, in creation that has a soul. So everything died by those on the boat, and, and uh, they were a soul. They were a living creature, so souls can die. If we go to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, and also chapter 18 and verse 20, and I'll read chapter 18 verse 20, it says this, The soul, or in other words the person, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So quite clearly here, God through Ezekiel likens the person to a soul. You are a soul, the whole being. Yes. And the soul who sins, the person who sins, shall die. The soul that sins, the person that sins, is going to die. Do you know that is really important for our understanding of death because to me what this is actually saying is that we're not going to have this uh, eternally living soul that goes on forever and ever and ever because only God has immortality as you correctly have uh, have shown us because we're going to next week one of the questions we're actually going to move into next week is this issue of uh, of hell because you know one of the biggest travesties i suggest to you in the christian faith are those who believe i believe incorrectly that there is actually a place that burns on forever and ever and ever and ever a critical topic it's turned so many people away from Christianity, yeah, and yeah. it's related to this very concept yeah, now. Yeah. Now, if the soul were to be immortal, yeah. like so many Christians believe, then why does Paul say in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, seven that we should seek for immortality? Why do you need to seek for something that supposedly you already possess? Mm, mm, mm. This, uh, this is really heart and core of what the New Testament is actually on about. Let's come to some music. I, I, I love this, uh, this particular uh, song. This is Jason Cork, The Holy City. Uh, to me, I, I love uh, the words and the thoughts of this particular song. Last night I lay sleeping Came a dream so fair I stood in old Jerusalem Beside the temple there I heard the children singing And ever as they sang Methought the voice of angels From heaven and answering Methought the Surrender. 
need the hope that Jesus will bring into your heart? What about your friends, family or workmates? Faith FM's free offer for you today is a life-changing book called The Great Controversy, filled with stories of hope and encouragement that are guaranteed to draw you closer to Jesus. To receive your free copy of The Great Controversy, go to faithfm.com.au or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Our theme for this week is entitled The Passing of Death. And today we're asking, what is the mysterious soul that's spoken of whenever this subject is discussed? And can a soul really die? David, bring it all together for us. Is there anything maybe in the New Testament that uh, uh, that you would add to what you've already said? Yeah, look, I actually want to go to the Old Testament. You want to go there first? That's fine. No problem at all. I guess what I would like to say is I guess we've touched on the biblical concept of immortality. We've covered the biblical concept of a soul and a spirit. The the breath goes back to God and it doesn't have anything that continues. It's not conscious or anything like that. It's just the, the life force that God breathed in goes back to uh, back to God. When we die we cease to exist. The Bible calls it a sleep until Jesus comes back and raises the dead and mm. then gives them immortality. So where did all this come from? Mm. I think that's important. That, 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 that is, where did this belief that people float off somewhere, where did that come from? Well, Christian Christianity, we will go right back, but Christianity has adopted the uh, the Greek pagan myths and, and their concept of what was called dualism, that you had a separate soul or a spirit and you had the body, dual yeah. too. Yeah. And the body was a prison house for the soul. Mm. The body was deemed to then be evil and, and uh, sinful, whereas this other part, this soul, was deemed to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. So you had good and bad, if you yeah. like. Yeah. And at death, the body, the prison house, was thrown open for the soul to then go to paradise. So death was seen not as some tragedy, but it was seen as something good. And it was a release, wasn't it? It was a release. Yeah. And this is so wrong. In fact, when we look at um, uh, Socrates, one of these ancient Greek philosophers, he saw death as a transition from one form of life to another. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bible teaches something completely different, that death is the cessation of life. Death interrupts life. Death is an enemy. There's the New Testament, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15. Death is the last enemy to be defeated, um, and it's defeated by Jesus. But if we go back further than Greek um, philosophy, which Christianity has adopted today, uh, we go back to the Garden of Eden, right there at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Tell us. This is important, David. Yeah, Genesis chapter 3, we find uh, Satan as a ventriloquist, if you like. He has hijacked a serpent, a snake, and he is in this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that they couldn't eat from. God said, if you eat from it, you'll surely die. It was their out. Mm. I don't want to be in relationship with you, God, so this is my out. I'll eat this fruit. And that proves I don't want to be in relationship with you. You've given me freedom of choice. Yeah. Uh, Eve leaves Adam's side, so the Bible tells us, and she ventures to this tree, and she notices that on this tree, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, there is some attractive, beautiful-looking fruit. As it would have. And there is this serpent, and Satan speaks through the serpent, 
And um, I don't know, if a serpent spoke to me, I'd be a little bit startled. And the serpent says to her, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's creating doubt. And this is what he does with us today. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then Satan through the serpent says this, you will not surely die. Ah, that is so significant because what we've actually got here is the serpent is presenting a belief that then throughout history does actually carry on. The serpent is the one who says you shall not surely die, but rather than through history we've seen so many cultures pick up this particular belief I think of the ancient uh, Egyptians, Egyptians. they had exactly the same concept that after your death that you carried on in some form in f- we see that with reincarnation we see it with so many other forms of, of indeed. religious um, indeed yeah now now it's what I find interesting here Satan first attacked the word of God he said did God really say yeah yeah um, and when we don't have our anchor in the Word of God, we're in trouble. Yeah. And yeah. sadly, many Christians today, countless across the world, have swallowed the serpent's lie. You will not surely die. And I think one of the reasons for that is this. The biblical view of death, the biblical view of immortality, is all bound up in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. Satan hates that. And so he will do anything to detract from that. Now, you think the common Christian concept of death, that if you're a half-decent person, you have a soul that leaves the body. This is the Greek, uh, uh, the Greek teaching, which is so wrong. It goes to heaven, and it's praising God. Um, now, what we understand from Scripture is that the dead, whether they're good and bad, they all go down to the grave. The Bible teaches that, yeah. good and bad. Yeah. And they await the return of Jesus. Those who have done good. And this is actually an incredibly, I would suggest, merciful teaching on behalf that's presented in the Christian scriptures. Because what you have is a people are able to rest in peace as opposed to maybe sitting in heaven and seeing maybe their children suffer significantly can you imagine people sitting in heaven and then seeing their children being uh, tormented but struggles some of the issues that they're doing and being not able to do a thing about it can't be paradise nor would you want your parent up there looking down seeing everything you've done (laughs) now that would be a problem wouldn't it david would be and in john chapter 5 here's the new testament John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this. He says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear the voice, will hear his voice, and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So there are two resurrections, and I know you'll probably touch more on that next week, but there is a resurrection of life, and that's for those who have chosen during their lifetime to be in a relationship with God. Mm. And when Jesus returns and they're brought back to life, they are changed in an instant, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, First Corinthians yeah. 15. Yeah. And that's when they are given immortality. Yeah. So Satan has perpetuated this lie right from the beginning that you will not die mm. and Sadly, Christianity has swallowed that and taken that all the way through. And that has serious implications for 
people trying to encounter the spirit world. I, I, I really appreciate that you've actually said that because it's actually changed a lot of people's view of God himself because, of course, if in fact there is this thing called the spirit that can live forever, then possibly it brings in things like hell, for example, and, you know... A loving God? I've had this question asked of me so many times. How can a loving God possibly burn everyone forever and ever and ever and ever? And Gary, I wish we were talking about it now. That that is such an important topic, and I don't want to go into that. I'd love to, but it's such a critical topic. And if you believe that a soul, that you have a soul inside of you rather than you being a soul, if you believe the teaching that you have a soul that is immortal and cannot die, it either goes up to heaven or goes down to hell, you are bound to believe in a God that tortures people forever because the soul cannot be killed. Yeah, and and that is something that I would suggest to you actually goes totally against the entire ethos of the Scriptures. Again, Satan has distorted this wonderful character of God from a loving God to someone vengeful. And I just want to encourage our listeners, you better listen next week. This is a critical topic. So many Christians have left Christianity because of this this misconception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a really key, key question. David, I'm conscious our time is starting to really get away, uh, away from us. Do you have one last text? Because I've got one other question I'd like to ask. Yeah, um, I, I guess for me, Gary... Um, you know, I've lost a number of loved ones, including a cousin and, and um, several men and, and grandmothers in my life. And I really love what Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter four, in verse thirteen and fourteen. He says, "But I do not want you to be ignorant." Brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, and you'll talk about that tomorrow. He says, "Lest you sorrow, as others who have no hope." Mm. Death is always sad. Yeah. Um, Even for someone that lives a long time because there is a separation. We weren't designed to experience death. And so we don't come to grips with it. We learn to live with it. But, but we that's don't not the way it's intended to be. Exactly. Yeah. But for the Christian that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have hope. Yeah. They still mourn, they still grieve, but Paul says we don't grieve as others who have no hope. Mm. So I want to challenge people that, you know, my wife turns 50 this weekend. Hopefully there's another 50 years there, right? But um, as you get older, you do start thinking about your mortality. Yes. And when I'm you, sure, Gary, you uh, think about it more than me. When you get to 60, it's even worse. Absolutely. So the, um, John says, um, he says, life is only in Jesus. He who has the Son, he says, has life. Yeah. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We only have immortality, and we, we get immortality when Jesus comes back, but eternal life is in having Jesus as our Savior and as our special mm-hmm. friend. Uh, one last question then. Do people who have a understanding of death, do they have a better death at the end? than someone who doesn't understand these things. Definitely. I mean, I've seen some people that, that have no belief, and death is, death is a horrible thing. And those that are, you see it in those who are left behind often yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, one person goes to the grave, the family is still there, and they've got no hope. Yeah. You see it on the face sometimes of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. A- and they don't know what there's fear. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not putting my hand up to be on the list of wanting to die. The fact is we are subject to death because of sin. But I can have the assurance that just as Jesus rose from the grave, the first fruits, 
Paul says, that just as surely as he rose from the dead, he will raise me from the dead if I'm in relationship with him. Yeah, how important it is to be in relationship with him. And being in relationship with him means I will want to be in relationship with my fellow humans. So I want to make sure that my relationships, uh, things that need to be said and unsaid are, are righted. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually so important when we're talking about coming up to death because one of the biggest challenges I know that I've uh, certainly sensed in the lives of many people is they come up to that time of death and there's some things where uh, families have fallen out and they've wanted to say things and it didn't quite get said in time. Uh, you know, these types of issues, but we're going to come up with that later in the week. David, I'm conscious that we are very much out of time. Please pray for us. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that only you have immortality. We thank you that Jesus comes and he will um, bring us back to life as we live in relationship with him at his second coming. Father, I just pray for our, our listeners, dear Lord, that they will have a, a deeper understanding of what the Bible teaches on this subject. There is no fear in death when we're in relationship with Jesus and he will give us immortality when he comes back. Father, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us again tomorrow as we ask tomorrow, how did Jesus deal with death? Really look forward to seeing you then. But until then, uh, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.